Hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, "Are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phygria and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Jumping ahead to verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now then, they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and all who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Holy Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, your word that guides us, your word that leads us, your word that is alive and fills us. I pray that you would fill us with your word this morning, that you would guide us, that you would exhort us, that you would encourage us, and you would draw our hearts and turn our hearts towards you and towards each other. 
We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, there is uh, that, old, that old saying that, you know, if he asked a fish what the, what the temperature of the water is, he would say, what is, what is water, right? He doesn't know what water is. It's, for, for us, uh, it's, it's like the air that we breathe. You don't think about the air that you breathe. You just do it. You do it without thinking. This doesn't mean air isn't important to you. Uh, you, you die without it. Just like, you know, water is, is important to the fish. They would die apart from the water. But it's not something you think about or obsess about every moment of the day. It just kind of is one of those things that happens to us. This is a snapshot of what life is actually like for us and the Holy Spirit, right? For, for the Christian, for those who say they believe in Jesus, the Spirit is like air for you. It's easy to think because we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a ton um, that we don't uh, think it's important. But the Holy Spirit is to our spiritual lives as the air you breathe is to your physical life. You can't live without the Spirit. There's, there's no accident that the, the Hebrew word for spirit that's used is, is ruha, which means breath. Right? The Holy Spirit is the very air you breathe. He's, he's the air that animated all creation and brought Adam to life in Genesis, and he's also the same spirit that animates our dead souls to life, causing them to be born again by the Spirit. And on Pentecost Sunday, we remember this great truth by remembering when the Spirit came upon the New Testament church, filling her up and sending her out as his witness. And it it reminds us of the grand truth as a church that before we are a a Presbyterian church, we're actually a, a Pentecost church. And so the, the question that I want to ask us this morning as we consider this moment and what it means for us even still today is this, is, is, is what does it mean to be a post-Pentecost church? What does it mean to be a people that live after the event of the Pentecost? How did this Pentecost moment change the New Testament church and how does it actually change us? And, you know, there's so many things that you could say to answer that question as we look at the whole chapter of, of, of Acts chapter 2 this morning Um, dropping in different points. But for the sake of time, I'm going to focus us on just two simple truths that I think root us and ground us in in the answer to what it means to be a post-Pentecost church. I think it means two things. that, that For one, we're filled with the Spirit. And secondly, that we're sent out by the Spirit. So first, um, we are filled with the Spirit. The the post-Pentecost church is filled with the Spirit. Well, what is this what does this mean? Well, uh, let's look at verse 1 here. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So to, to understand the kind of some of the, the deep background of what's happening, we have to understand what Pentecost is. And just a fair warning, you know, there's going to be a lot of what we would call biblical theology happening here. So we're going to be looking at a lot of different allusions in the Old Testament and New Testament, making connections to hopefully help you see the depth of just what is happening here. But uh, Pentecost was an Old Testament feast. And it was, it was 50 days after Passover that they would gather in Jerusalem for this feast. So this moment is happening just 10 days after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so, right, Jesus was with his disciples for 40 days. He ascended into heaven. So this is 10 days after that that this moment is happening and Pentecost marked the beginning of harvest and it was a, it was a festival of, of first fruits and it was a harvest of the nations so people would come to the temple from all over to celebrate 
Jews that have been scattered over all these nations that were listed here are, are coming back. They now speak different languages, but they're descending on the temple to worship God. It was also a feast uh, that marked Israel's arrival at Mount Sinai. Uh, and marked, so it marked the giving of the law of God, which was given at Mount Sinai in, in Exodus. And so here you have the city full of people, full of the nations, coming to the temple to celebrate harvest and to celebrate the giving of the law. And this is the day that the Holy Spirit decides to descend on his people, just like Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come and fill his people. And it's no accident that this happened on Pentecost. And we see this here further. Explained in verse 2 through 4, it says this. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So he, you have the scene before us where there, there came a, a sound like a mighty wind and it filled the house. It's not wind that's filling the house, but it's like the sound of the wind filling the house. It kind of gives you this sense of just the raw power that accompanies the Holy Spirit. Notice, um, you know, you've, it gets windy in Yakima sometimes. You've probably heard this kind of wind on that windy spring day when it feels like your house is about to get blown off or when the wind gets down your chimney because you forgot to close the, sh the thing, whatever it's called. And so it's like filling your house and rattling your house. You know, this is kind of a picture of what's happening. And, and this is not actually a new thing. This is often when God shows up, he actually comes as like wind. You, you see this a couple of different places in the Old Testament. I'm just going to show you a couple. One is 1 Kings 19. When Elijah's hiding in a cave and God passes by, there's this great and mighty wind that comes with him. Ezekiel 1, when Ezekiel's kind of getting this crazy vision that when you read it, you're like, what is happening? There's all these different things, wheels and spinning things. And what else does he see amongst all this stuff? What A mighty wind comes through. You know, the association for us at Pentecost is that God has shown up here. This is God is coming, just like God showed up at Mount Sinai, giving his law to his people. So God is showing up here. But, you know, as, as one commentator, Peter Lightheart, points out, this time, the Spirit doesn't write laws on stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Right? Just like the Spirit was poured out at the beginning of creation, so now the Spirit is being poured out to form new creation out of this chaotic disorder of the nations and languages. And the Spirit is back in this powerful way to finish the creation narrative within his people. And this is where you also find this, this theme of, of temple in this moment, because where did the Spirit of God fill the whole house? It was his, his temple, right? And the Holy of Holies, in that inner place, that's where the Spirit of God dwelled. The house where they're gathered here now becomes this new holy place, because it says it's filled with God's Spirit. You know, what's interesting about this is where they are would not have been that far from where the temple actually was still standing. It's not far, but the Spirit doesn't fall on the temple. Where does it fall? It falls on the house, and not just the house and the brick and stones, but it specifically, it says it fills the people. God's Spirit fills his disciples. Well, what, is, what does this mean for us? Well, this means that the people themselves have become living stones, right? They're the, they're the new temple. 
God's full presence fills his people, fills his church, not brick and stone, right? He doesn't live in these walls, but flesh and blood. He lives in you. God dwells not just with his people, but he deals with his people as he dwells in his people by the spirit, filling us. By the power of his spirit, he lives in his people. And when the Lord fills his people, he makes them living temples. The amazing thing, this is, if you have faith in Jesus, this is true of you right now. You are filled with this same spirit. The real presence of Christ dwells not in buildings, but with his people. The law is written on your hearts. So this is kind of the first thing of what it means to be filled with his presence. You are now the living stones of the temple. The second amazing truth about being filled with the, with the spirit is that you aren't just living stones, but you're actually turned into living sacrifice. And as the Spirit descends and fills his people, making them his living temple, it says that fire rests on their heads. Well, what is this talking about? What's this fire thing talking about? It's a weird way to describe them just speaking different languages, isn't it? So what's happening here? Well, the commentator Peter Lightheart, again, speaking on this, points out that right, what's just, the event that's just happened before this is that Jesus has ascended into heaven, right? He's sitting at the right hand of God. He's like a priest that's went through the veil to the Holy of Holies, taking his throne where God dwells in the most holy place. And uh, this is an allusion to what happens at the end of Exodus. The end of Exodus kind of gives us an allusion to what's happening here. Because at the end of, of Exodus, uh, when the tabernacle is, is complete and God's people can finally worship him and God's house is, is built, um, there's a scene where Yahweh takes his throne and fire comes out from the Lord to consume the, the sacrificial portions of the altar. Well, now this is an allusion to what Jesus is doing here, acting out for us in the spirit that Jesus has ascended to the place where his father lives. He takes his throne, but it, instead of lighting a sacrifice on fire, he now lights his people on fire. Right, the disciples are now made the, the altars. The disciples are the living sacrifices. To be, to be filled with the Spirit means that you are now a living sacrifice. Which This is what Paul teaches us too, right? In Romans 12, that you are now living sacrifices. Right? Living sacrifice means that your whole life is now offered in worship to God. As the Holy Spirit fills you and makes you alive in Christ. Right? The one who was sacrificed that you might have life. We are now united to that sacrifice of Christ in our living. So living sacrifice is a sign of this new creation. It's a sign of this act of worship. So this is what the post-Pentecost church looks like. It looks like a, a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are made into living stones and living sacrifices. Which is to say, you are God's very presence on this earth. Where the temple was, that's where God dwelled. And now as God dwells in you, he dwells wherever you find yourself on this earth. You are filled with the spirit. The same spirit that is strong and active here at Pentecost is the same spirit that fills and animates your life. This is amazing. The Holy Spirit empowers everything that we do. He is the air we breathe. You have no life apart from him. It's a profound truth. One that I'm not sure we actually believe in our day-to-day -day living. Because we wonder, well, how can I be filled with something as powerful as this thing and yet uh, feel nothing day-to-day -day sometimes, and yet feel no power? 
well, to borrow from a friend, I think it's because not every day is, is Pentecost. You know, some days are just Tuesday. When you get woken up early by a weird dream or a crying child where it's everything you can do to get to work on time and to stay awake through the day. And in this kind of normal daily living, it's easy to forget that we live in a post-Pentecost world that we are inhabited by the, by the power of the living God that he actually fully dwells in us. So what do we do with this kind of disconnect, this disordered reality? Well, at the end of the passage that I didn't actually read this part, uh, it kind of gives us a hint. We find that the ordinariness of, of how life in the spirit is lived out, that the Pentecost maybe only happened once like this, uh, but then what does the church do just days later? Well, it says here in verse 45, it says, and they were selling their possessions and their belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as had any need. And day by day, they attended the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You find here is that the church's life is actually pretty ordinary. right? They, they ate together. They prayed together. They lived life together. This is ordinary things together. Those things that you have to do to survive. And sometimes I think we're, we're stuck waiting for this a monumental Pentecost moment to happen in our lives that we forget that this moment has actually already happened. And it's not going to happen like this again, and it doesn't need to, because the event of Pentecost was such a powerful moment that it has an unending, unending power that still fuels his church. It's not just a long-lasting power. It's a, it's a forever-lasting power, and it's the thing that fuels us all today. And and we fan this flame of the Spirit as we do the ordinary life in the Spirit together, reading God's Word, praying, eating together, worshiping together. Ordinary is not bad. It's, it's the life that we're called to. It's, and it's out of this daily living that the church ends up changing the world and people become saved, not because of awesome sermons, uh, but because of the work of the Spirit just working through the ordinary life of His people. You know, even the, the sermon that... Uh, Peter preaches here, is, you know, it's maybe three minutes long. Even don't you wish all your sermons were three minutes long? And, uh, and it's nothing in incredibly insightful. It just points to Jesus and what happens. 3,000 people come to know Jesus. Right, the work of the church is actually meant to be ordinary. And God uses that ordinariness to spread his kingdom because the power is not in us. The power is in the spirit that lives in us. So our work is able to be ordinary because the Holy Spirit is active and working and doing the extraordinary work of converting hearts, transforming lives. This is a work that only he can do, turning dead stones into living stones that are dedicated to him. This is a work that only the Spirit can do, and he does it through us. And Pentecost reminds us of this reality for the church, which is true of all of you in faith, that you have been baptized by the same Spirit. And in this is this promise that he will never leave you because he never leaves his work. And this kind of leads us to the second aspect of this post-Pentecost church. Right? They were never filled and called and created living stones and living sacrifice just to kind of create that holy huddle and feel good about themselves. But God's temple was actually meant to cover the earth, to be witnessed throughout the entire earth. We were filled with the Spirit in order to be sent out to cover this earth. 
This is the second thing it means for us to be a post-Pentecost church is that we are sent out by the Spirit. Right, this is where the kind of background scene of, of what Pentecost is alluding to begins to change, you know, uh, where, where it's not creation and the temple anymore, but it turns to the passage that we actually read about this morning in the Tower of, of Babel. We see this here in you know, verse uh, 4 through 8 again. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak and in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound... The multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these uh, who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native tongue? So this is kind of a wild thing that's happening before us. And it's going back to uh, Genesis is where it kind of teaches us what's happening here. So in the passage that we read this morning, just before Genesis 11, is Genesis 10. Genesis 10 might be most remembered for the Bible, for the chapter that you skip in your Bible reading plans, because it's just a list of all the names, and it kind of gets boring to read a bunch of names that you don't know how to pronounce, right? And so, uh, but that's an important thing, because in, in chapter 10, in, those list of, in, in that list of uh, people, you get the table of nations listed. At the end of chapter 10, it says these descendants of Noah are where all the nations are spread from. These nations are, are first assembled there, right? And then they're scattered because of the confusion of language. And here we find Pentecost is a reversal of this moment, right? In Genesis, the order that happens is you get this table of nations, all the people, uh, and, then the, and then the language is uh, scrambled. But here uh, in this passage, it's, it's, it's backwards, First, you get the, the language, uh, them speaking in tongues, and then you get the table of the nations. Right at, at Pentecost, the curse is being reversed. Everyone was hearing the disciples in their own language. It's a reversal of, of Babel. It'd be like if you were here in this room and you only spoke Spanish, and I was preaching in English, and you heard me in Spanish. This is what the gift of tongues was here. They weren't speaking in some gibberish language. They were speaking actual human languages. And God is reversing the curse. And God's people are being sent to the nations with this gospel. And so at Pentecost, what you have is the reassembling of the nations. They're being brought back together. And because the gospel is preached in all the different languages here, what is really neat is that the languages are not eliminated. Languages aren't bad but each one hears the good news in his own languages. And this is this diversity is brought into harmony. And this is the, the fulfillment of the great promise to, to Abraham that his seed would one day bless the nations. Well, now here, the seed of Abraham, which is Christ, begins to bless the nations, grafting them into the olive tree that is Israel, uniting all nations into one body, the body of Christ. And this happens through the work of the Spirit here. And so this artificial boundary that divides are being torn down by the Spirit of Christ. As the Spirit fills his church, he helps her overcome this barrier of language, and the Spirit sends us to the nations to do what? Well, here we find it's to bear witness to Christ. Right? We're sent to bear witness to Christ, the one true God, and once the language barrier is broken, once Babel is reversed, this is what we see. We see the gospel going out here in verses 14 through 17. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what the, was uttered through 
The prophet Joel, in the last days it shall be, God declares, there will pull out, pour out my spirit on all flesh. You know, how many sermons do you suppose uh, begin like this, that I'm not drunk, right? It's, uh, you know, it's how you know it's probably going to be a good, good sermon. Um, and then what does Peter do? Right? He begins to bear witness to Christ, showing them that what is happening isn't something new, but it's actually a promise of, of old. He then summarizes the scripture and says all of scripture is actually pointing to this moment and to Jesus. Verse uh, 32 says like this, is this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. He is bearing witness to the risen Christ. Right, The post-Pentecost church is meant to be sent into the world to bear witness of Jesus. And you know, after Jesus was resurrected and he spent 40 days with his disciples, you know, Luke 24 tells us that he's taught the disciples how to read scripture, that all of scripture is about him. And, and you get the sense in Peter's sermon here that he understood and he took that to heart. And in his sermon that he delivers here, he quotes from all over the Old Testament, first from Joel here, pointing to this moment where the spirit of Christ is poured out. He then alludes later to Psalm uh, 16, which is a psalm of David, where David talks about one who is, will rise from the dead. Well, David is dead, so it's not talking about David. So he's saying, no, even David was talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one that rose from the dead. He then quotes from another psalm in Psalm 132 here, where he says, David's descendants will be on the throne. He's saying that descendant is Jesus. And, and then he also quotes from Psalm 110 in this sermon. And he says, you know, the, the one who ascended into heaven is, this, is Jesus. All of this is pointing to Christ, what Peter's doing for this Jewish audience who knew the scriptures was reinterpreting them for, for him. He's showing them that Christ is the fulfillment of all that they know. Peter is bearing witness to Jesus, right? This, this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit sends us out to bear witness that all the scripture and all the Old Testament is bearing witness to Jesus. And this is the truth that we're supposed to bear witness to, to the nations, Right, that Jesus is the source of life, that he holds all things together, that he is the great end of all our longings, that he is the one we are, we are searching for, even if we don't know we're searching for. Even if you're here and you don't know Jesus, whatever you're searching for in your life, you can never find your ends until you find it in Christ. He is the one you are looking for without knowing it. And as you're united to him, you're united to his mission. And as we are a people that are filled by the Spirit, we're a people sent out by the Spirit. And in the, the ministry of the Spirit is to bear witness to the truth that the Scriptures are all about Jesus. And we bear, bear witness to this truth to the ends of the earth until the whole world is filled with his glory, filled with living stones and living sacrifices, people offering their lives in worship to God. And as we're sent out in the Spirit to bear witness... What we find is we're actually directed by the Spirit as well. Right? The Spirit who sends you is the Spirit who directs you. And, and you could say that the entire book of Acts is a testimony to the Holy Spirit directing his mission. Right? By the Spirit, Peter is able to uncover the deception of Ananias and Sapphira. Right? The Spirit tells Philip to go to an Ethiopian eunuch's chariot and then snatches him away. The Spirit gives visions to Peter and lets us all eat meat, praise God. The Spirit sent the church out to Antioch. The Spirit sends angels to Peter and John from prison and, and so on. 
This is the tip of the iceberg. The Spirit directs the entire work of the church throughout Acts, right? The, the work of the church is directed by the Spirit. As much as pastors and leaders like to think it's about them and their strategies, it's about God and His Spirit. And the church is still filled with this same Spirit directing us. This isn't the start of the Pentecostal church, like denomination. This is the chart start of the church. And even we Presbyterians uh, are filled with this same spirit, believe it or not. Even we are the Pentecost church. The apostles carried out their mission by keeping in step with the spirit. So what does this mean for us to bear witness and to keep in step with the spirit of God? Well, for one, it's this reminder that we, we don't go out into the world bearing witness about ourselves Right? We can only walk in step with the Spirit when we bear witness to the Christ as he has revealed himself to us in his word. There's one important distinction is that the, this early church didn't have this book written yet. Right? They were the ones that were creating this history. They, they didn't have it to read and to study like we do now, but now we have God's word fully revealed to us. And this is what we're sent into the world to bear witness of, his word, that it is true and that it is filled with power. It's like I don't need to reason someone into the kingdom because it's kind of unreasonable the things we believe that, right, that Jesus rose from the dead. People don't rise from the dead. That is unreasonable, right? And yet it's true. We're to bear witness to these truths, but God's word is the thing that actually has the power to change hearts. His Holy Spirit is the thing that animates dead things to life, and we're called to trust his word, to continue to proclaim it to, to not only speak to us, but to the nation. So first, we're to bear witness to the truths of Scripture, trusting that his word will have power. And it has power because his, it is his word that the Holy Spirit uses to bring about revival. And it's the proclamation of the word that converted 3,000 souls here at Pentecost, and it's the proclamation of the word that, that causes the church to continue to grow around the world today. So we're called to trust in this word. That the Spirit of God works and speaks through the Word of God. Secondly, we should still expect the Holy Spirit to direct our ways like he directed the church of Acts. It may look a little different uh, for us. You're not going to be taken up in a moment and brought to another part of the world. That wasn't meant to be prescriptive for us. Uh, but as we gather, as we pray, we should expect the Spirit to direct our paths. You know, I think uh, one practical way this happens is in just the places that he's given you to live, the places that he's given you to work. It's no accident that you have the neighbors that you have. It's uh, no accident that you have the coworkers that you have, that you have the clerk that you have in a checkout line. God is sovereign over your life and his spirit directs you into the lives of others to bear witness of Christ. And so we're called to pay attention. Where has the spirit of Christ brought you? Where has he led you? You are a living temple, a living sacrifice. You are bringing the very presence of God with you wherever you find yourself. Right? From the ordinary everyday moments with your family and home uh, to your ordinary sleepy Monday morning workday, the Spirit has sent you wherever you find yourself. Do you recognize this? The Spirit I think, also gives the church visionaries and leaders throughout her history to help the church grow and prosper from Chrysostom to Augustine to Luther to Wesley to Hudson Taylor to up to today. He gives people emboldened by visions to build godly things in the work of the spirit. Right on our own, we build vain things, monuments to ourselves, 
things to make ourselves look good, but in the spirit, we build lasting things, things to promote the benefit of others, things to promote the growth of his kingdom. And then each of us, lastly, all have gifts that the spirit has given you. Uh, Ephesians 4 tells us that, that, that our work is to, that, that, to be equipped, uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is to say the work in the spirit. To walk in step with the Spirit is to walk in step with His community, using your gifts to help the community of God flourish. You all have different desires and passions that you have been given. Some are passion for foreign countries, some for a particular people or ministry, or whatever it is. We're to work together to hone these gifts, to hone these skills, and together as a community, we walk in step with the Spirit. I think so often our temptation in our culture as individualists is that we uh, we, we think, oh yeah, I have this gift and I'm just going to go and pray about it and think about it on my own and then I'm going to go and use it without talking to anybody about it to find out if this is actually something I should do. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to a community. A community where we share with one another. A community where we listen to one another. A community where we pray and seek the things of the Lord. We don't walk and step on our own. We walk and step with each other. This is a communal thing. We, we actually can't do it on our own. And because we're grafted and united to Christ and his body, as we're all a part of the body of Christ, as Christ goes before us, we walk in step with him as we walk in step with his people who are following him, chasing after him. This is the work that the church is called to. This is what a, a post-Pentecost church looks like. This is the, the same spirit that is here, is the same spirit that animates us May we be a people who walk in step with this spirit, who learn to discern the spirit together as a body, being filled with the spirit. May we be a people who eagerly go out into the world so that other people can be animated to life like we are. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. May you animate our souls to life. May you encourage us and strengthen us for the work that you have before us. May you fill us with your spirit. May you remind us that we are secure in you, and as we are secure in you, we go out in the strength of, of the spirit who holds us and keeps us to proclaim your excellencies wherever we find ourselves. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.